Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Know Your Options, the measured risk podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. Welcome to the show today. My name is Larry Kriesmer, and this is my partner, Bernard Swarovski. Today, we are going to be interviewing Brian Colbert, the president and CEO of Bonfire Financial. And so, well, welcome, Brian, to the show. Hi, Brian. So the first thing we want to ask, the burning question before anything else is the name, Bonfire Financial. We're kind of really amused by it. Uh, so you have any, any background story for that choice? <laughs> I wanted a name that uh, wasn't, I guess, traditional to the financial world. Uh, you know, I feel like a lot of names come across this stuffy, and I certainly didn't want to say Colvert Financial or Colvert something. So uh, I kind of want to go with something fun. So I chose Bonfire. The origin of Bonfire, obviously, is a fire of celebration. So I also spent a lot of time outside, had a ton of fun uh, in high school and college going to, uh, you know, bonfires and pep rallies and things of that sort, if you will, to try to bring people together, you know, in in order to uh, try to root on your team, if you will. And so it kind of stuck with me for quite some time, still does today. And so I wanted something that kind of showcased, you know, the whole idea of money and what we do really is about coming together and doing something fun. Uh, And so... That was kind of the the origin story, if you will, of why I came up with the name and why I thought it fit well in the financial arena. Obviously, I've heard all the jokes of, you know, what do we do? Just burn your money or all the other fun stuff that anyone else clever could come up with. You know, it, it's a fun name. We like it. Uh, and so we stick with it. Right. I love that association with the bonfire, you know, bringing people together. And it's like it is a place of celebration and revelry. And, you know, right. perhaps one or two many glasses of whiskey or bourbon or whatever you're poison of choice might be absolutely hey as long as it brings people together uh you know we're happy about it right because you know i I will say the majority of clients come to us and you know their goals are they want to spend more time with family or be able to you know take family vacations or whatever it might be uh it's not hey i want to go you know live by myself and you know never see anyone again so i think it fits that's great tell us a little bit about what got you into the financial advisory business I mean, to be honest, it's a, it's a lot in the sense of my father uh, was in the industry. He was an advisor for quite some time at Merrill Lynch and then uh, Smith Barney and then UBS. And so uh, obviously I grew up seeing it. To be real honest, though, I didn't actually know what he did until I was out of college and was kind of starting to look for a profession of what I wanted to do. And so out of college and in college, I was selling copiers for Rico Business Systems in Southern California. Loved it. It was a blast. But no one likes to talk to you about copiers. That is not something anyone is ever really excited about. Uh, If you're talking to someone about copiers, it's normally because it's broken and you want it fixed. And it's transactional, right? So 
you sell yeah. a copy or lease a copier and you know, you're not going to talk to that client probably for another three to five years, unless something is wrong. And again, then you're not happy with you. And so, and, you know, just passing, talking with my, my dad partners uh, that he had and colleagues he had, you know, it's a very interesting profession in that, you know, you meet with people, you help people and, you know, every day you're actually interacting with them. And so it's kind of fun to kind of see how they grow and you get to keep that relationship ongoing. And so that drew me to it. And so it made me look, more and more into it, interviewed a couple other individuals who were in the industry and that, you know, sparked my interest even more. And so that's how I got into it. That's a great story. Uh, Larry, how many times have we heard uh, you know, advisors tell us that it's, you know, that that's exactly what's kind of a big, a big motivating factor? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, helping people and, and doing, doing the right thing and seeing a, seeing a future that's actually renewable, which is actually a pretty cool thing about our business. Yeah. But I mean, I remember yesterday, Larry, we were talking to someone and we were talking about the concept of, I mean, it's almost, there's an intimacy to the relationships that we build up, just being so well-informed about the finances. And sometimes we get to hear the news before the spouse gets to hear the news on certain items. Um, have you had any experiences like that that you... Um, I mean, so I would say sometimes I'm not sure if I got uh, the news before the spouse, but I definitely have, you know, heard the, you know, the fun. It's fun to be in that, that, you know, I'll say ground floor, if you will, of people who, you know, they're about to sell their business, or they just got an offer, or, you know, they're, they're excited for what's going to happen next. And so, you know, you're one of the first ones that they can tell and will tell and want to tell. And so that's, that part is, you know, extremely exciting uh, and fun, right? Because it, it brings a whole new challenges to them and it opens the door for how we can help them too. What do you think your most important role is for your clients? That's a great question. To be honest with you, I'm probably going to say, you know, almost sometimes I'll say tongue in cheek being their therapist. And I guess what I mean by that more is, is that obviously, you know, we, we can be very cut and dry, uh, black and white in this industry of, you know, it should be this, this fund or this ETF or this strategy or that strategy, or this is what we should do and how we do it. And then, you know, that takes the emotion out of it. And unfortunately that works, but it's really not how it works for clients or individuals, right? Emotions always in it. Cause you know, they'll see dollars, whether it's, you know, going up or going down and it means something to them. Right. I always joke with people of like, you know, we gain in percentages, but we lose in dollars. And so when the market comes down or we see corrections, it's always, you know, I lost this much and it could have been this. Right. And it's always an emotional take and it's taking, trying to take that emotional take out of it and put it into, you know, Hey, here's a big picture. Here's really what we're trying to accomplish. Right. Yes. We had short-term swings, you know, left and right, we got to ebb and flow uh, a little bit. But if we keep looking at the big picture, yeah, we might have had a little bit of setback, but we still are very much on pace for where we want to go. So uh, that is what I would say is probably the biggest role and important role that I do for clients, or we do. Kind of keeping them on track. The most rewarding Absolutely. is helping them not make decisions that take them off track. Makes sense. A hundred percent. I mean, it's, you know, in difficult markets, you know, it gets more challenging. What are some of your frustrations with this business? Well, I, there's, I mean, a, a few. I would say the biggest one is I think this industry does a, a bad job of trying to keep it like in a black box of like, it, there's like these big secrets of, you know, you can only get to it through this channel or, you know, you have to follow this secret recipe. And so I don't like that because I think a lot of people get confused, uh, you know, and we also use a lot of acronyms and so, yeah. I, and jargon and, you know, 
yes, that, that happens, but you know, but you know, I think what I'm saying yeah, I think Go one of my credential commercials is actually a young couple talking in front of their dog saying, Hey Sparky, wanna go to the park? Come on, let's let's get your leash and go to the park. And all you hear Sparky hearing is park, Sparky. And then <laughs> it cuts to another commercial of the couple sitting in front of a financial advisor and they and they hear Samantha, retirement, IRA. Yep, <laughs> and exactly. You haven't got any idea what, you know, it's so hard once you have experience in this business to try and unjargon your jargon and get back to understanding that the client really may not care at all whether or not you have a Roth or a defective crummy trust or whatever it is that you're bringing to the table. They just want to know that they're on track. So, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, or my favorite one, I think, is I'll ask them, like, you know, what do you have for his investments? And they're like, oh, I have an IRA. I have a 401k. Yeah. Great. What, what do you have in it? No, I have an IRA. Like, you don't understand. Like, that is what I have. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. So how about uh, anything keep you up at night? Like when you're, you're, you're basically in charge of a flock of people when they're money. So when you turn off the lights and go home, anything you're concerned about? I mean, I think the hardest thing that I've always, you know, have a challenge with is, you know, the markets ebb and flow, right? They go up, they go down. Uh, and we have really no real control of it. Right. And I got no crystal ball and no one else really does have, have a crystal ball either. But the fact is, is that when the markets do go down, you know, accounts can come down, you know, we can have a diversified portfolio, but you know, if I have bonds and equities down as they were last year, you know, the fact is, is the accounts go down. And as much as I know, it's not really in my control. And we did our job as far as making sure it's diversified and making sure we're on track. And we didn't, you know, put them in a risky position that wasn't aligned with what they were trying to achieve. There's still negative effects, you know, that come into play. And as much as I would love to, you know, I want to do it for them and right, not have it go down and always be up for them. I can't. And so, you know, it's, that's, I will say it's frustrating. Uh, and I have to constantly remind myself of what I can and cannot control. So that is, I would say it's an ongoing thing because you want the best for your clients. And sometimes, you know, with all your best efforts, uh, the market doesn't do what you think it's going to do. Yeah. Do you, do you have a general investment philosophy? I do. I mean, it would probably go under the category of keep it simple, stupid, because that's what I've seen works. You know, I have, I think kind of the thing that hits home with me is I saw this quote earlier today when with one of those emails that you always get of like, you know, hey, here's a fun quote, is, is that everything you want is on the other side of consistency, which I just thought was fantastic because I think in investing, you know, it's about being consistent, right? It's about, you know, consistently contributing to it. It's about consistently following a plan. It's consistently doing something. So as far as our philosophy goes, yes, it's very simple in the sense of, hey, we want to be broad-based and we also want to be diversified in multiple asset classes. But it very much is, is we want to be as consistent as possible because that's something we can control. I can't control the other stuff. Yeah. Um, Do you have any- So your investment philosophy, how does that inform- your portfolio construction and your asset allocation decisions. Sorry, Larry, it looked like you had a question as well. Sorry. Can you, I guess, elaborate on that question more as far as what you're looking for? You say consistency and stuff. So how does that inform your portfolio construction and your asset allocation 
I mean, do you kind of for do you have like a fixed model you follow for a particular age group? So we, yeah, so we we have a. I mean, we use fixed models as far as what I like to do is so we'll use a equity model, so a full hundred percent equity model, uh, and then we'll have a full bond uh, fixed income model. And so what we'll and then when we work with our clients, we'll figure out how much of each we need to put in uh, to their portfolio to kind of hit their risk tolerances. Uh, so that's kind of our baseline as far as where we start and how we kind of build the models from there. Uh, and then kind of allowing it to be a little bit more custom for each client based on kind of exactly what they're trying to achieve with their uh, certain situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there an investment committee or two or three FAs or is it you or what's the process for your construction? Uh, so it's me and uh, Nick Coleman, who's in my office. So he's another advisor here. And so each month we kind of look at it, uh, you know, kind of have a baseline that I've been using for, you know, a long a long, long time in the sense of, you know, where it came from as far as a very, I'll call it a passive approach. And what we'll do is we'll look at the ETFs or funds that we have in there, make sure they're performing and we don't see any drifts or anything like that um, within those. And then we kind of look at the economy as well to say, hey, is this where we should be? Is this, you know, are, are we doing the right thing still? Is there anything else that, you know, we're not thinking of that could inadvertently hurt us uh, or our clients uh, by continuing the strategy? And so we look at that each month. We look at it each month, but we're very slow to change because I don't want to be, you know, I certainly don't want a time. I've definitely seen that not work uh, in, in many scenarios. And that is one of the biggest reasons how I got to the philosophy I was is that in my, as I grew as an advisor, I ended up having uh, relationships with people who had uh, a timing aspect to their portfolio management. And I came into kind of being a competition of like, which one, which one went one, right? Which one did better? Uh, and the passive seemed to always win. And so that's kind of where I, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Let's stick with it. So that's kind of where we, I, I started with it. We're slow to change just because I don't want to make big you know, changes just because, hey, this month it did this. If I'm starting to see a trend over the last you know, three to six months, then maybe we need to start looking at something, which is kind of where we look. So, But it's that, again, consistency that we're looking so that we can see if there's trends that are, you know, we're, we're inadvertently not doing something we should, or we need to make a change. How about in the, I heard mutual funds and ETFs, but structured notes, option-based strategies, annuities, any of those products in your mix? I, I would say we've used them all. Uh, if you will. The one thing that I found, because obviously I said we kind of work with models, right? And that's kind of our basis. So we start with there. And then with each individual client, we will look to see if something like a structured note, an alternative investment, or you know something else, or an annuity actually is the right fit for them. I kind of am more in line with thinking that we come up with a base model. It pretty much works pretty well for almost everyone. And then we kind of add to it because as far as those structured notes, alternatives, they also have comes with different liquidity risks and needs. And so when that gets added into any portfolio, I think we have to look at each individual client to say, hey, does this actually make sense for them? Because, you know, if I, you know, put a client in and, you know, we have quarterly liquidity and, you know, they actually are going to need a lot of liquidity, I I could mess that up real fast. And so that's why it's not a, like a broad based, Hey, everyone gets this. Cause I just, I think when you get to those, it's not a, you know, round peg square hole kind of thing. You can't just force it. You got to make sure it's the right fit, but we do look at those, but that's kind of more of a ancillary. Okay. Now we're really into the details and making sure it's making sense. Okay. Do you you ever use options in your portfolio construction or it's not something you really delve into? I mean, 
we've used them to be honest with you one of the things like it's complicated and it takes a lot of time and with the options and it's not something that i have as much expertise as i think i should so it's not something i am going to put forth to the clients i'm very much a believer in that i need to understand what we put in place before we put it in place not just hey i've heard a lot of people make some good money doing some options uh let's do it that's not where we're at so i mean I, i am learning them but it's not something we have in place currently yeah, I know it's a it's a complicated thing. I think options are a uh, I don't know. It's you know people have good experiences or bad experiences, and the funny thing about an option is that if you had a bad experience, the person you bought it from or the person you sold it to had a good experience. So it's literally just <laughs> a million, it's the opposite. It's the other yeah. side, right? The opposite is just the vehicle for either a good experience or a bad experience, and it's happening at the same time just to different people. So yep. I think when you start thinking about it that way, it's an interesting piece, but um, how about, let's talk about like infrastructure and custody. Are you, where do you custody or what do you, what do you see in the custody landscape? So currently we custody with Charles Schwab. That is our biggest uh, custodian that we work with. Uh, we do have a relationship with Betterment. That's, I will say it's more of our, I'll call it younger clients who are just kind of more starting off because it's one thing we have found even with, with Schwab being very cost effective, when you add in money uh, on a consistent regular basis, again, going back to my consistency. So if we have people adding in, you know, $50 or something like that, it, it tends to eat away uh, with the trade costs if we're putting into certain things. And then also some of our models were not able, you know, to get as diversified on a smaller account. So we found the Betterment works very well. And we also were able to design the models within Betterment. Uh, so that's been very helpful. So that's that's a growing piece, but it's a small piece currently. And on the on the larger accounts, are those in just SMAs, or you know, are you using a platform there as well? Uh, no, so almost we don't have we don't have any SMAs in the portfolio currently. Not to say we wouldn't, um, but we don't have any currently. But they are in Schwab, uh, and we do run the models, as I said, and then we add in others, whether it's an alternative or real estate trust, private credit, anything like that, that we're looking at that we think makes sense for that particular client. Nice. How do you work with clients to set investment goals and, you know, develop a financial plan? Do the portfolio review, like what, what tools do you use or any software packages? And So as, as far as our, our financial plan, we call it our financial field guide that we take them through as far as kind of our process, if you will, as far as the, that like, bonfire idea. Okay. Yeah. But as far as like moving the, uh, you know, removing that black curtain, if you will. I mean, we use uh, Right Capital as far as the software system that we uh, utilize. Uh, we also use YCharts as far as kind of analyzing the stocks and things like that, uh, the funds that they have. And then right now we're still mostly using Right Capital. We've used a couple other tax platforms. Right Capital has added a few that we were impressed with. I'm still looking for more um, so we can get more involved as far as on the tax side because that's keeps becoming a bigger and bigger question for clients. But that's what we do um, as far as the software. You asked kind of like what the process was um, yeah, as far as yeah. how we go through it. Yeah. Is, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer, you know, the bonfire name comes through, I guess, all the way through, right? Because the big thing for me is we got to know where people are. And I tell clients all this all the time is we got to know where point A is, right? And that's really where they're at. The other part is we got to know where point B is and where you're going. And so the best way that I've ever found to kind of find where point B is, is just, a, it's a conversation. You know, I don't, questionnaires are great, but you just can't, you know, 
I guess, work out really what they're looking for or what they really want without that conversation. So what I like to do is kind of gather everything that they have, kind of see exactly where they're at, then set up a conversation. So then I can ask questions and be like, okay, hey, you have this. Why do you have this? What made you want to go this route? What was the kind of the goal when you set this up? Or what was kind of, you know, the idea when you talked to someone about setting this up? And then we'll get to, okay, what's the future look like? Uh, and I always like to tell, uh, well, I was kind of almost enforced clients, if they are married, I want the spouse on there. Uh, because it's kind of one of those things that I ask a question and they turn to each other and are like, well, what about this? What about that? And then it kind of, kind of keeps going and building. And then you kind of see there's difference of opinions, right? And you know, I know I'm stereotyping, but it, it tends to be, you know, the husband will be have quite aggressive goals and the wife has kind of these more conservative, like just protectionary goals. And that's not always true, but it it is a stereotype that tends to work out pretty well that way. But the conversations that come from it are really what are key. And so, you know, it's not rocket science. It's not anything special. It's just a flat out conversation and me saying, okay, well, what about this? Or what happens if we do this? Or, you know, if you want to retire, what does retirement look like? Uh, I want to travel. Well, what is travel? Is it you want to travel in an RV around the US or you want to fly first yeah. class around the world? Both are fine. They just take much different budgets. <laughs> I mean, I, it's kind of harking back to your earlier comment about you being a therapist at heart, you know, yes. I guess, I guess your process kind of invites that, you know, just in the conversation that, that you're having with them. Um, how do you work with clients to manage their, like their personal finance? Do you get involved at all with them, like on their budgeting and stuff like that? Or are you not um, that grand? I mean, that that very grand? little. I mean, I'm not a big, like, I'm not a big budgeting person, just in general terms. I'm more the belief of, you know, put money away so you don't see it. Right. If, if you're right. at a point where you're really having to budget, you want to make sure that you're saving before you ever really actually see that money. And then that tends to solve most yeah. problems. And so I'm more of in that camp, not to say budgeting isn't a great tool for certain people. It just, yeah. you know, again, I think, you know, there's so many different, you know, strategies for budgeting and some people who are very strict and like to follow all of those rules. That's great. It just hasn't been something really that I personally do, nor do I. So if I don't personally do it, then I don't really normally recommend it. I mean, I say it's still great for people uh, if they love yeah. it and that's their personality. But so we don't really get into that. I get into more, okay, your goal is this. We need to be saving this, right? And so if we need to save this and it needs to go into, you know, a Roth, a 401k or whatever else, you know, we're looking to do, we need to do that first, right? And how do we cash flow that so that, you know, you don't have an issue with your budget going forward. Right. Um, and so that piece, we will work with them, but it's, you know, that I guess is kind of where I get into it. I don't say, Hey, you know what? Your entertainment budget is $150. Make sure you don't go over it. That's, that's not us. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I've often told clients, you know, if you can't afford to save the kind of goals we're setting aside for you, then get another job. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very true. Right, so, yeah. You, or something on those. Go ahead, Eric. Let's have you a question. How about um, you know regulatory environment? That's been interesting in the last couple of years. But what's your response, or how do you handle regulatory developments and compliance? I mean, the fun that, like, I guess my honest answer to you in regards to the regulatory is is that most of the rules that came out, I think, were trying to go after kind of the bad people who weren't following the first rules in the first place. And so, to me it wasn't like we had to change our business, right? You know, we were, we're RAs, we have fiduciaries, we're CFPs. We also have the fiduciary liability on that piece too. So it's like, 
we were doing what's right for our client in the first place. That's what we thought we should be doing. It's one of the re- main reasons why I decided to leave a wirehouse and start this business was I was tired of saying, are you a fiduciary? Well, maybe it depends on the account we're working with. And so it, w- with the regulatory things, they turned to be more of just a pain in my butt uh, in the sense that it makes us do more work, right? So it's more paperwork uh, that we're you know, having to write down this and you know, have a client sign a few more forms to say, yes, they, they get it. They understand it. They know their options. Um, so it's, it's not, but I wouldn't say it really changed the business or we, I really think it's, you know, night and day. It's, it just is more, we have more paperwork to fill out, which I wouldn't say I'm happy about, but it is what it is. So I'm not changing it. Yeah. Earlier on, you said you, you like to look at some of the macroeconomic factors to kind of determine your asset allocation. What are you seeing out there today? I mean, what are some of the factors that either cause you concern out there right now or you look at it and you go, yeah, things look good. I mean, do you have, do you have kind of a general opinion? Of um, I mean, I would say my, my, the, the biggest concern I have is basically how much money we printed over the last couple of years, right? Like the M2 supply as far as how much it increased uh, in 2020. Yeah. And obviously, you know, we went over the debt ceiling. How does that, what does that mean? What are we going to do, right? Because every time we print money, we're devaluing our dollar and the debt that we have. And so what does that mean? And what does that mean long-term? That I would say is probably the one that concerns me the most because obviously, you know, there's macro trends, well, bigger trends, if you will, mega trends. And are we in one of those, right? Like how, like, what does that mean to us in the sense of it? And what does it mean on the geopolitical side, right? It's with what China's doing, what we have with Russia and Ukraine, how does that help us? How does that hurt us? And what does it really mean? And is it just more fluff and rhetoric that we get to see on the news um, and headlines? Or is it actually something that's going to happen, Right. You know, I kind of was telling clients, obviously, we, you know, we went through, the, I wasn't around uh, in the industry when we went through the Cold War, but obviously it got dangerous. It was very scary. And, but nothing actually, like we never went into one, right? Like we didn't go into uh, a nuclear war in that time. It turned into be more rhetoric, even though it got pretty close at some times. I'm hoping that it's kind of that scenario uh, right now and that it doesn't turn into anything, but it's one of those things that I think it's, you can be hopeful, but I think you need to be prepared. And so that's kind of more where we're looking to see are things really changing, right? Because in the general terms, you know, I do think we are moving forward. We go through cycles, we economics come down, they go, we go through bear markets, but those are more bigger trend things. And what does that really mean? Because that changes kind of some dynamics with just the U S and the strength of the U S. And so that's, I would say my concern that I'm watching more often now. How does that influence your investment decisions for your clients or, or you kind of just kind of, that's the background noise. But that's a, I guess that's a background. The investments is okay. So bonds, right? How much bonds do we want to have? How, like, obviously we made a big switch last year from going from intermediate to short term to almost cash equivalences as kind of that unfolded last year. And the question is kind of, you know, what do we want to do going forward? Uh, how are bonds going to really, how are they going to perform? You know, are they going to continue to be what they were over the last, you know, five decades uh, or are they not going to be? And so that's obviously that changes quite a bit. It's very important to us, in my opinion, because obviously we deal with a lot of retirees or people who are close to retiring. And the general, you know, if I go back to when I first started, it was, you know, the whole, you know, 60, 40 portfolio and, you know, add more fixed income the older you get because it works. And you don't want the risk. You don't want the portfolio to be moving around. And, it, you know, you pull off uh, the interest off the 
the portfolio and it works really well and you can live off of that. That's not working as well these days. And so we got to figure out how and what's going to happen. So that's, I guess that would be, it's a big factor in my opinion of how it changes things. So obviously it changes where we are putting our assets on the fixed income side. Equity sides, I'm not as worried. I mean, that seems more normal than, than the fixed income side. But that's to, to answer your asset allocation question, that's where how it affects what we're doing. Cool. I don't know if it's happening to you, but I, it's it's amazing in the last three weeks, the number of uh, that spam emails that I'm getting that a de- you know, a devastating crisis is around the corner. And it's going to come from we don't know where and it's going to disrupt our lives. And, you know, all hell's going to break loose if we don't pay attention to this person who's going to try and sell me a newsletter. Or some oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, it really is remarkable, and I, you know, it's tough. You can imagine we've got a couple of you know clients and some advisors as well that are prone to maybe getting whipped up by that type of information. And <sighs> how do you deal with that in your client base, or do you have much of that? Uh no, of course we do. I mean, I got clients from all all um, ranks of life, political different beliefs. Uh, yeah. I do feel like it, it is very divided, if you will. And there's also more divide, if you will. So you get a lot of difference of opinions. And normally those opinions are quite strong. And, you know, kind of, as I said, I, I shared my concerns as far as where we're going. But the other thing is, is that like, we don't have that crystal ball. And I have no idea it could all just be fluff and smoke and nothing happens. And so you don't, don't want to bet the farm on an assumption or a gut level feeling or something like that and you're wrong and you know what we just keep ticking along just like we've always done and you know the market turns exactly what it did before and it's not a big change but i also think it's you know slightly naive to not you know be paying attention to it and being knowledgeable of what's going on right i think half the battle is just being knowledgeable so when i have clients who are talking about it from you know different sides of the table it's you know it's it's and i go back to i ask questions i'm like okay what what do you think would happen? What, why, like, why are you coming up with this? Where did you come up with this? And, you know, let's run this down the table. Okay. If we, you know, this were to happen in the way you're scenarioing it, what's going to happen to the portfolio, right? You know, if we were to see this, how is this going to happen? Right. And kind of just kind of logically look at where things are going normally calms them down a little bit. And then we can normally get back to kind of that. We'll say that logical piece of, this is what we should be doing. So yes, I mean, it goes back to my, you know, what is the most important thing we do philosophy uh, or psychology um, of getting them back on track and not taking it so emotional because they saw something on the news that sparked the interest or fear that they are definitely wanting to talk about. What advice would you have for the younger Brian? Given you were starting out today with all the experience you've had, what advice would you have for yourself that's a great question. You know what? I would honestly say that the best advice I can say is keep learning because, you know, I obviously I started in this industry end of 07, right before the whole uh, 08 crash. And so in that scenario, like I had the, you know, and it was in a wirehouse environment. So it was either uh, a survivor, you're not here anymore kind of thing. Uh, and so it was, you know, drinking through a fire hose as fast as you can to try to make it, uh, in, in a crazy, crazy market that, you know, I'm like, Hey, you know, first couple of months was I can manage your money. Let me manage your money. And then it just keeps going down. I looked really good, uh, for the first, you know, couple of months or so. And so it was just a kind of learning it really quickly. 
And I keep telling myself it's all about learning, right? Because the more you learn, the more you educate yourself about the different ideas, the different topics, the products, it helps, right? Because then you're more knowledgeable to understand, okay, this can help in this scenario. This can help here. This is how this works. And I'd even tell myself, you know, but history, I think is extremely important. And I think it's an extremely uh, pivotal piece to understand what has happened and how we got here. Uh, And so uh, if I could tell myself to be learning more about history, because I'd love to know even more now, uh, so I'd be even better off. But that is, I guess those are the pieces of advice I would tell myself. That's very right. I mean, I guess the, the one thing we learn from history is that we do not learn from history. <laughs> well, it repeats itself. It, it's, yeah. it does tend to repeat itself. It may not look exactly the same, but it certainly does uh, run, that's for sure. That's right. Yeah. And what the Yogi Berra who said, you know, predicting the future is really difficult because it hasn't happened yet. So, Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, it's been an interesting um interesting conversation and we live in a world that's full of investment options and we started this show so we can try and discuss those options uh, with advisors and with their clients and basically come up with um, more information about different approaches that different advisors take on how they manage risk seems like one of your primary concerns is is that risk and how to how to mitigate it and just wanted to maybe finish with if there's anything else that uh, we should have asked you that we didn't cover Oh, that's a good question in regards to investment options. Um, investment options, client management, uh, practice management, anything that's burning on your mind that you'd love to solve or a thing you've, thing you've figured out that you want to share? <laughs> um, I mean, I wish I had figured out a lot more. No, I mean, we've covered a lot. Like I said, I mean, I think every day is a new day. So we keep learning and, and we keep growing. And if we can just keep getting slightly better from yesterday you know we're, we're on the right path yeah, so I, I don't know if i have anything burning inside you know like oh man we should have covered this uh i think it's been really great and i really appreciate it yeah no problem well you'll probably think of it in about six minutes from now so of course <laughs> <laughs> that's how it always works that's, that's always how it works all right well listen brian i appreciate very much the time today and look forward to keeping in touch and we hope to hope to see you again soon excellent well i appreciate you both thank you very much for the time This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of measured risk portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.